1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories." It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is an expression in Mexico where we lived for 24 years, and it may be in other Spanish-speaking countries, which says simply, Lo último que muere es la esperanza. The last thing to die is hope. And that's actually quite an accurate description of humanity. Of course, there always are those who throw in the towel early. Even when things look good, they're pessimistic and they uh, predict doom, but in general, humanity is fairly resolute. We, we try to hold on until the last moment. We try to keep hope alive, hope that things will turn the corner, hope that things will get better, even in the darkest of times. And when we talk about she's given up hope or he's given up hope, we realize that it's over. Uh, the, the game is over because there's no more motivation to continue on. And so hope throughout history and humanity in our lives functions to, to help us through, help us through the darkest of times. And that posture is actually a posture that, that God recommends and commends and commands to us that we would be hopeful people. But He does so not on the basis of kind of a blind optimism or wishful thinking, but on the basis of His own work in and for His people. As we started looking at 1 Peter last week, we saw that God's people are called, curiously, elect elect exiles. That is to say, selected, rejected people. Selected by God, but rejected oftentimes by humans. And now we see that we are described as God's people as a hopeful people in this text. And if we can look at how this text develops, verses 3 to 5, the message there is basically, you cannot lose. And then in verses 6 to 9, you can rejoice even in the hardest of times. And then in verses 10 to 12, you have the best seat in the house. So let's see how this develops here. You cannot lose. Verses 3 to 5, and Peter begins 
uh, even as Paul does, especially in Ephesians, by blessing God, by blessing God for all of His benefits that He's poured out upon us. Blessed be the God, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here he reflects upon what God has done for His people in the past. The first thing he mentions is this, according to His great mercy, you find that he mentioned in verse 2, grace and peace, and now he adds mercy, and he says, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, why does Peter begin blessing God, praising God? Because He has caused us to be born again. Now, this is a verb that appears only here in Peter, but it's very similar to an expression that Jesus used when He was talking with a religious leader. Uh, At night, a religious leader came to Jesus. It's back in John chapter 3, Nicodemus. And uh, he came under the cover of night because a religious leader, speaking to this itinerant Preacher was a little bit suspicious. He came at night and Jesus shocked him and he said, you must be born again. You must be born by water. You must be born by the Spirit. You must be born again. And Nicodemus didn't get this. He wasn't understanding this figuratively. saying, how can I enter once again into my mother's womb and be born? He said, no, you have to be born by the Spirit. You have to be made alive again by the Spirit. Now, this is an interesting image, the idea of being born again. Uh, because when we are born, what did we do in order to be born? Nothing. Our moms did all the work. And maybe some help from a midwife or a physician. Our moms did all the work. What did we do to be born? Nothing. It was the work of another. And that's why this is in the praise section. Peter is not congratulating us, saying, good job for being born again. He's saying, Blessed be God. Praise be to God. He's the one who made us. He's the one who caused us to be born again. So we don't make ourselves born again. God causes us to be born again in His mercy by His Spirit's operation in us. But how can we know? Let me ask you this. When a baby is born, is that pretty obvious? Is it pretty obvious that the baby's been born? What are some of the things that happen when a baby's born? What's the baby do? starts to cry and should start to cry, starts to breathe. And many things happen when a baby's born. It's, it's, nobody's standing there in the, in the delivery room saying, has a baby been born or not? Right? It's very clear. There, there's evidence that a baby's been born. And there's evidence that a person has been born again. Now, First John, which is a, few, a couple books after First Peter, in First John, it's all about the evidences of being born again. But there is a, uh, a primary evidence, or two, that he mentions in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. And if you want to look at it, this is on page 1,125. 1 John 5, 1 says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So what is the evidence that somebody has been born again? There are two here, and they go together. One is faith in Jesus Christ. When God makes us alive again, the the immediate reaction on our part is to believe in Jesus Christ. He makes us alive so that we might believe in Jesus Christ. So that's the first evidence, belief in Jesus Christ. And the second is love for God. So we have faith and we have love. 
And if we go back to Peter, we find that there's a third part of this this threesome that often shows up in the Scriptures. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope. And here we have this threesome that often appears in the New Testament. We have faith, we have love, and we have hope. And here Peter calls this a living hope. Or we could say a hope for living It's a hope that's a practical hope. It's a hope that works for our lives. Now put this all together. How are we born again? What is the, what is the, the, uh, the effective means of us being born again? He says, well, it comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, Jesus coming to life again, was there evidence that He was alive? Absolutely. He walked, He talked, He ate, He spoke. Uh, There was evidence. He was alive again. Is there evidence that we are alive again? We are made alive through His life. And what are the evidences? Well, the three primary. Faith in Jesus Christ, love for God, and now a living hope. And that's the focus of Peter here today. A living hope. And in this living hope, in verse 4, we have an inheritance, an inheritance that we cannot lose. He says, we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, this is very rare, by the way. Sometimes we talk about old money, but there really isn't much around. Because 70% of wealthy families lose the wealth in the second generation. So one generation gains it, the next generation, 70% loses it. And when you get to the third generation, 90% lose it. So there really isn't much in terms of an inheritance that cannot be lost. Most inheritances, it appears, are lost. So this is is very striking, that here we have an inheritance that we cannot lose. And how does he describe it? He describes it by three negations. He describes it by denying three things. He says this is an inheritance that cannot perish, that cannot spoil, and that cannot fade. There is no inheritance like that. Every other type of inheritance can be lost, and most of them are. But here, this inheritance cannot be lost. This is part of our hope. And as he goes on, he says that we are kept for that. We are guarded for that. We are protected for that. We will get that inheritance. And he says here in verse 5, "...who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time." Now, this is interesting when when Peter speaks of salvation, because oftentimes in Scripture we find salvation is a past event. Sometimes it speaks about you have been saved, you were saved, it's something that happened in the past. Or, sometimes it's a present experience, it speaks of the salvation that we are enjoying now, day by day. But Peter, when he focuses on salvation, he's focusing on the future aspects of it. And that's why he's saying, you are guarded for faith for a salvation. What salvation? The the final salvation. Now, we enjoy, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, many wonderful benefits. We've already seen one, that God caused us to be born again unto faith and love and hope. We enjoy the forgiveness of our sins every week. We forget for uh, every week we come and we, we confess our sins and we enjoy the forgiveness of our sins and we enjoy that day by day. We enjoy the fact that God has accepted us in His Son. We enjoy the adoption as children. We have many, many benefits that are ours, even now, and cannot be taken away. But, we don't have everything yet. And I think we recognize that as we go through our days, don't we? It goes through our weeks that 
that this isn't it yet. That, that there's still many things lacking in our lives. Because we still find ourselves tripping up. We still find ourselves liable to sin and disease and decay and eventually death itself. And so we realize that we don't have the entire package yet. And so Peter's saying, it's coming. There is a salvation that is in the future that is for you. And now the rubber meets the road. Because of this, because of this, now you can rejoice. And that's what he begins to say in verses 6-9. to Because of, of what He's done for us in the past and what He has promised for us in the future, we can live differently now. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And we saw last week that this was the situation of the people of God that were scattered throughout northern Asia Minor, Turkey. They were they were afflicted by various trials. We don't know what kind of trials. It looks like there was some opposition from people around them. But but they had trials just like we have trials. But he says, you are able in the midst of your trials. He said it to them. He says it to us. You are able in the midst of your trials, not just to grit your teeth and, and get through them, but you're able to rejoice. Why? Because of what's happening in the future. Now, when we're in difficult situations, in order to, to be cheerful, in order to rejoice, in, the, in order to keep on, we need a couple of things. One thing we need is to know that it won't last forever. We need to know that there is an end to this trial, an end to this suffering. And we often, often encourage each other that way, don't we? And we encourage ourselves that way in trivial things and in big things. If we're sitting in an exceedingly boring lecture at school, what are we doing? We're looking at the clock and saying, eventually it's going to end. When the clock hits such and such a time, it's going to be over. I know I can get through this. In trivial things, but in greater things like sickness. Or a surgery that's going to make our suffering worse to begin with. But then we say, but there's, there's hope of getting through it and things will be better on the other side. This won't last forever. Or, or a loss or a trial or some sort of pain. We say, I know. I know I can keep going because this won't last forever. And that's what Peter says to them. He says, actually, it'll last just a little while. Look what he says. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for what? A little while. A little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why is it a little while? Well, because one way or another, it's going to be over in a matter of, at most, a few decades. At most, a few decades. It's just going to be a little while. And so you can be joyful. You can cheer yourself with the hope of what's coming because it won't last much longer. You see, God does not offer us our best life now. By the way, how depressing would that be? <laughs> For this to be the best? Because if it's, by, if it's the best now, by definition, what's, what's going to happen in the future? It's going to be worse. God offers us something much better. He offers our best life in the future, but also offers us promises so that we can live in the best way possible now in the light of what's coming in the future. That's how hope functions. 
Negro spirituals and black gospel songs were born out of suffering. And they were born out of a situation that did not look like it was going to get much better. And indeed, it did not get much better for a long time. And so that's why Negro spirituals and black gospel songs are infused with hope. Because they're not investing everything in here. They're living in the light of what is coming in the future. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and that cannot be taken away. Listen to one of them. This was written by Charles A. Tindley. He was born ten years before the war between the states broke out. His mother was free. His father was enslaved. He was self-taught. He eventually became a pastor of one of the biggest Methodist churches in Maryland. And he wrote a number of hymns. This one's called Beams of Heaven. Listen to the hope. Beams of Heaven. As I go through this wilderness below, guide my feet in peaceful ways, turn my midnights into days. When in the darkness I would grope, faith always sees a star of hope. And soon from all life's griefs and danger, I shall be free someday. And then the chorus says, I don't know how long twill be, nor what the future holds for me, but this I know, if Jesus leads me, I shall get a home someday. Oftentimes my sky is clear, joy abounds without a tear. Though a day so bright begun, clouds may hide tomorrow's sun. Sun, there'll be a day that's always bright, a day that never yields to night. And in its light, the streets of glory I shall behold someday. Harder yet may be the fight, right may often yield to might. Wickedness a while may reign, Satan's cause may seem to gain. There is a God who rules above with hand of power and heart of love. If I am right, He'll fight my battle. I shall have peace someday. Burdens now may crush me down. Disappointments all around. Troubles speak in mournful sighs. Sorrow through a tear-stained eye. There is a world where pleasure reigns. No mourning soul shall roam its plains. To that land of peace and glory I want to go someday. It won't last much longer. And what's coming is even better. So you can rejoice. But you know what else you need to rejoice? What I need to rejoice when times are hard? We need to know that our suffering has a purpose. We need to know that there's a reason. Even if we don't have that reason, even if we don't have the explanation now, we need to know that there is one. We need to know that this is not just capriciousness on the part of a cruel universe, but that this is providence that comes to us from the hand of a loving God. And that's what Peter goes on to say. He says in verse 7, here's the purpose, here's the so that clause, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's the so that? It's so that the genuineness of our faith becomes evident to us and to all for the praise of God at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. Now, none of us likes trials, do we? None of us. None of us likes suffering. None of us likes pain. But if we look back on our lives, if we are people of faith in Christ, and we ask ourselves the question, when 
was my faith strongest? When did my faith grow the most? We won't say, oh, it was in those times on vacation when I was wiggling my toes in the warm sand and sipping on a cool drink under the shade of a palm tree. No. We will say it's when I I thought my faith was about to be crushed completely. When I thought I couldn't go on any longer. That's when I look back and I find that my faith, the genuineness of my faith, became most evident to me and to everyone else around me. And he says, what's that faith look like? Verse 8, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. He says, you may not see Him now. Physically, we don't see Jesus. And we may have trouble seeing Him at all in the midst of our trials, but He says, even so, you love Him and you believe in Him. No matter what's going on, that's the victory of faith. That's the genuineness of faith. It shows itself through faith, even though we can't see. It shows itself through love, even though we don't understand. But there's a purpose. And what's the end result? It's in verse 9. Once again, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter pushing us forward to the, the final aspects of our salvation. The salvation of our souls. And also, in the meantime, we have something that cheers us. Something else. In addition to the fact that it won't be long and our best life is coming, in addition to the fact that, that there's a purpose for all that we experience, there's one more thing. Even though you may not think this way, for now, even now, and actually forever, you have the best seats in the house. That's what Peter goes on to say. He says, the prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament, they talked about the Messiah's coming. They knew He was coming. They knew He would suffer. They knew He would be glorified. But that's it. They didn't have the details. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. What's he saying? You know more. You know more about the Messiah than the prophets did who prophesied about Him. They didn't have the details. And why do you know more? Because you were born on this side of Christ's work. That's it. Not because we're more studious or smarter, more godly. No, we were just born at the right time. And so we just walked into the VIP seats by just, by just being born at the right time. And they were wanting to know. They were searching and they were, were, were inquiring. They wanted to understand, but they couldn't. Because they were born before it happened. And we could go to the prophets and say, oh, you know what you're prophesying about? Well, actually, this is how it happened. Jesus of Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem in such and such a time. And this is what He did, and this is what He taught, and this is where He went, and this is how He died, and this is how He rose from the dead, and this is how He ascended into heaven. Let us instruct you. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They didn't have this information, but we do. But it's even better than that. This last curious line. Things into which angels long to look. Angels 
long to look. We, we have a better seat than the angels. Now, we don't know a whole lot about angels. The Bible has them there. They show up occasionally for extraordinary service and then disappear. Doesn't tell us a whole lot about these angels. Angel means messenger. But it says the angels are looking into these things and they, along with the prophets, are trying to understand. Now, why can't the angels understand? You would think these, these awesome, mighty beings would be able to understand better than we can. Why can't they understand? Well, what are they looking at? They're looking at salvation. They're looking at the work of God sending His Son to become one of us, a human, to live for us, to die for us, to rise for us. Angels will always be on the outside looking in because Jesus didn't do that for them. He did it for us. And so angels will always be kind of scratching their heads saying, what's that like? Explain that to me. Let's use our imagination for a moment. Let's, let's think about that we're going along a thousand years from now, maybe 10,000, 100,000, million, whatever, whatever time frame you want to put in there, and, and we're going along, and all of a sudden, somebody comes up behind us and taps us on the shoulder, and we turn around, and it's Gabriel. And we fall on our face and, and start trembling, and he says, do not be afraid. I said, Gabriel, you scared me. He says, yeah, I do that to humans. <laughs> but get up. I just, I just want, to, I want to ask you something. The angels and I have been talking about this for a long time, and I just, I just want to try again. I just want to ask you, I just, explain to me, would you, please, what it's like to have the Son of God as your substitute? What it's like to have the Son of God at, at God the Father's right hand always interceding for you? What it's like to know that He became one of you? What it's like to know that He, he, he lived what you should live and that He died on a cruel cross for you and that He rose from the dead? triumphant over your death? Would you explain that to me? I, I'm not getting this. And we said, well, I'll try, Gabriel. And so we begin to, to try as much as we can to explain what it's like to be redeemed by Jesus Christ, rescued by Him. And we see that it's just not getting through. And finally, we say, Gabriel, I think you just have to experience it for yourself. And he doesn't have a look of sadness because there's no sadness in that place, but maybe a little bit of disappointment says, I, I just don't have any idea what you're talking about. And then as he begins to walk away, he says, oh, but I want to ask you a question, just one more question. I remember back in 2018, I remember because I was here and, and you were there on earth, and I remember that you were facing some really difficult things in your life. And I remember how you would sometimes spend sleepless nights worrying about it. And I, I remember how you, you were concerned about how this would play out in the future. And I remember how you would cry out to God. And, and I remember those prayers coming up here before God's throne. And, and I remember how difficult a time it was for you back in 2018. And I just wanted to ask you, how are things now? How are you now? How did things play out for you? How did things work out? And now it's our turn to be perplexed. 
as we try and try to remember what seemed like such a big crushing problem back there in 2018 and and then we finally just say to Gabriel, Gabriel, now it's my turn. I have no idea what you're talking about. Shrugs his shoulders, smiles, turns away and says, well, I guess we're even. Let's pray. Hmm. Our God, we thank You that the best is yet to come. And that helps us get through that which is so crushing now. God, we are still here in the body and we're subject to all sorts of trials even as Your people have been for every generation. But we thank You that it's coming. That the best is coming. That Christ is coming. That the kingdom is coming. That perfection is coming. That glory and praise and honor is coming. They're all coming. And God, we pray that day by day that we would live, even as this hymn reminds us, with beams of of heaven coming down upon us so that we might live as Your hopeful people. Hopeful for what is assured and cannot be taken away because Jesus has secured it for us with His life, with His death, and with His resurrection from the dead. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.